The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, this evening, of course, being the last Monday of the month, we're focusing once again on property law. And joining me in our Cape Town studios this evening is attorney Ishmael Mohammed, and he's an associate with Marlon Chevalier and Associates here in Cape Town. Ishmael, good evening. Welcome back to the show. The months just seem to get shorter and shorter. You seem to be back here. <laughs> I mean, we were just here like it felt like last week. I was here last week, remember <laughs> correctly. <laughs> Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can call us now on 0892-102010. Yilungilalakwa is a heart-heating program dealing with consumer rights. We get the most informed experts to answer the most difficult questions. From fraud and corruption to protecting the rights of children. From purchasing faulty equipment to finalizing estates, we give you all the information you need to empower yourself. I am Alicia Jali. And I am Sipiwon Zaundi. Tune into Yelungelulako Fridays between 1.30 and 2.30 in the afternoon only on SABC1. This is News Hour starting at 7 on 2. Let's cross over to the streets for breaking news. There's scenes of excitement here on the streets. The masses are celebrating the return of Afrikaans news to SABC2 tonight at 7, followed by Sisutu, Setswana and Sipedi News. And Interface on Sunday at 8.30pm. Back to studio. News hour, new time slot. Big stories from your new world. Tonight at 7 on SABC2. The Law Report with Karen Key. Well, as I mentioned tonight, I'm joined in studio by attorney Ishmael Mohammed, and we're talking property law. Now, we do have a few emails that we've received from you, the listeners, during the course of this past month, which feels like five minutes ago. But uh, anyway, so we'll be dealing with those first. And you can call in now, if you like, on 089210. 2010 Just leave your name and number with my producer and we'll call you back as soon as we're done with these emails. Right, let's get started with these, Ishmael. The first says, I am a legal guardian of a child. Her parents left her two properties. One has an illegal occupant and there's a bank trust. I'm not going to get into names because we could get uh, into trouble for that. Okay. Is looking after the estate. They failed to evict the illegal occupants. They've done everything to evict him and he ignores any threat. What can I do against this bank trust? Because they're clearly failing and they've been doing that for now for over five years. Okay, the first thing we need to consider is what is the situation of the estate? Now, I know that the, <clears throat> that the statement says that the parents left it to properties. Now, has the bank taken over the properties in the sense of the trust itself? I mean, has a trust been created? and the property is placed into the trust in favor of this child until she becomes a major? Or is the bank the executor of the estate? Because estates can take some time to wind up. So if the estate is the executor, then the recourse would be with the master of the high court. Because the master would be able to make the decision that the executor is not doing their job properly or is not taking the necessary steps to wind up their estate. Well, you said it's been five years. Is that unnecessarily long? It is quite long, but like I said, it's not unheard of. Oh. It is not unheard of, unfortunately. Right, so if the master does make the decision that the executor, whoever's at the bank or 
has not done something correctly, then they can take steps to have the executor removed and someone else appointed who then can take the necessary steps against the illegal occupant. Now, you also go on to say that they've done everything to evict him, but he ignores any threat. Now, a threat of eviction is not everything for an eviction. You know, writing a letter and saying, you need to leave, if you don't leave, we will take further action, is not taking that further action. There has to be some sort of a court order for an eviction order to be good in law. Now, my question would then be, has the bank or whoever is administering the trust, have they taken these steps? Have they actually launched an eviction application? If they have not launched an eviction application, the question is then why have they not launched? Simply saying that's an illegal document, it's not really, you know, it's not something substantial. We need to say why are they illegal? Are they illegal because they were never supposed to take occupation? If that's the case, how did they get occupation? Did, did her parents place this person in there? Was there some agreement with the parents at the time? Is the person deemed to be illegal because they're not paying the rental? If that's a situation, then yes, a letter of demand with a cancellation would deem them to be unlawful occupiers, and then an eviction application would be possible. But before we even get into that, we first need to determine what is the situation of the bank. Are they the trustees in terms of a trust, or are they the executors? As I say, if they are the executors, you can take them to the you can report them to the master of the high court and steps can be taken there to have them removed. If they are trustees and they are not administering the trust properly or in favor of the beneficiaries, in other words, leaving this occupier in there who's not paying rental, the property is becoming dilapidated, you know, so there's no capital gain for the for the for the heir, then you can bring a court application to have this trustee removed. Because remember, every trustee has a fiduciary duty towards the trust they are appointed to. And if they are failing in that fiduciary duty, they can be removed. So, okay, but so this is from Stundiwe. Stundiwe, if you're listening and you have any more information you can give us, maybe you'd like to just give us a call mm -hmm. on 0892102010 and hopefully we could fill you in with a little bit more information because we're a little bit thin on the ground when it comes to yeah. information in this particular email. Right, the next one is from Naran and says, I'm renting this flat, but the house rules say that no vehicles other than those belonging to the residents are allowed into the complex. Should a resident want his visitors to park in the complex, the resident must pay 20 rand and arrange a parking with the trustee. Is this normal in flat complexes? Okay, now I, I won't say that it's normal. However, it's not unheard of. The trustees are not doing anything incorrectly, provided that the rules actually state this. If the trustees have just decided out of their own, this is what we want to start doing, we're going to start charging 20 rand for every car that comes in that doesn't belong to a resident, then no, they're not allowed to do that. However, if it is part of the house rules, then yes, they may do that. So they haven't actually done anything wrong. Because it says the house rules mm. say that no vehicles other than those belonging to the residents are allowed into the complex. And then should a resident, but then that's possibly in the house rules. But mm. now the trustees are deciding that there's now a charge. So if the house rules say that you can't have visitors into the complex, parking in the complex area, um, that's one thing. But yes, then the but charging is a whole other thing. Yeah, it, they need to be linked together. The, the house rules can't say no cars allowed and the trustees then decide 20 rand parking. The house rules need to say that. 
you're not allowed to bring a car in unless you've made arrangement with the trustees and you've paid the 20 rand parking fee. If the house will say that, then yes, it is legal. Again, I say it's not normal in the sense that this is actually the first complex that I've seen and I've dealt with many complexes that have actually introduced this sort of, let's call it parking fee. But legally, I cannot find anything wrong with it. But it has to be in the house it's rules. It's got to be in the house rules. Okay. The trustees cannot just make decisions and implement them across the board. They've, they've got to have them properly set out in the rules. Okay, here's another one on a complex. It says, this is from Jacques, says, should house rules in a complex not be applied fairly? In other words, they are only enforced against certain residents. What recourse do the aggrieved owners slash tenants have? Okay, the first thing is that the tenants themselves won't really have any recourse because as I've described in the past, and I will as we get further to some of these other questions, there is no legal relationship between the tenants and the body corporate unless that relationship is working through the owner. So in this situation, if the rules are being applied to some residents and not to others, then there clearly seems to be some level of favoritism going on. right? So I would imagine that the trustees and anyone who votes for them and anyone who supports them in AGMs are not having any recourse and those that vote against them are having the house rules thrown in their faces and really used against them. Now if that's a situation then any owner that feels aggrieved in any situation may call for an arbitration right? at any time on any point. Further to that they may call for an for a special general meeting, provided they have the, they give the necessary uh, notices and they invite the proper amount of people, invite, they would invite everyone if they had a quorum, they would be able to vote to have the trustees removed and other trustees put in place. Obviously, it's not something that's easily done. If you have three owners out of a hundred that have a problem, I doubt you're going to get the necessary votes. In that case, you would be able to call for arbitration or you would be able to apply to court to have the trustees removed. How would they go about calling for an arbitration? What are the steps to do for that? Well, what you'd have to do is you'd actually have to notify the trustees that you have some issues that, or some concerns that need to be brought up. You would then be able to apply to the arbitration board. right? They would be able to nominate an arbitrator that would be able to come through you would set down a date and everyone would file the necessary papers as to what the grievances are and from there the arbitrator would take it forward obviously there's is a bit more to it than that but i don't want to take up the entire hour okay. simply on that but if sharks if there's something that you are interested in my details will be made available yes absolutely jacques you can just drop me a mail to law at safm.co.za and i'll send you all ishmael's uh, details and you can have a word with him after the show right another one can i this is from sia says can a body corporate do the following and there's there's two points can they interview potential tenants and can they restrict the number of occupants in a unit and then the question is what recourse is there should they do the above okay if we look at this one interviewing of potential tenants now now we've got to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of the interview? If the purpose of the interview is for the body corporate to decide yes or no on the tenant, then simply put, no, they cannot. For sure, that's up to the owner no, of, the, of the flat. The owner, he, yeah. he's the owner. That, that's all there is. He's got a real right to the property. He may choose whoever he wants to place in that property. I have seen situations where 
body corporates say that rentals in the area or in the development start off at a certain figure, you know, because it's a certain standard of living, a certain type of security and so on. So they have to set a minimum rental that they would charge, that the owners are allowed to charge, and then an owner decides to place his parents, who he doesn't charge any rental to. And I've seen body corporates have issues with this. At the end of the day, the owner can place whoever he wants. Right, so the body corporate cannot say, we have interviewed, we don't like the person, the person may not take occupation. So basically, if, if a body corporate says that they want to interview potential tenants, what rights do the owners have to say, no, look, I'm sorry, it's my flat? That's all the right they need. So they can say they that? They can say that. This okay. is my flat, I will place who I want. If the person pays rental and they do not contravene any of the rules, the body corporate has absolutely nothing they can do against this tenant or this owner. If we look at the second point, mm. now this one is may the body corporate restrict the number of occupants in the unit. Now, again, you would think that this answer would flow from the first one. The owner may place whoever he wants. But what we've got to remember here is that there are municipal guidelines to who or how many people may be placed in a premises. So if, for example, a, a two-bedroom flat may take a maximum of four occupants, the owner cannot now decide, I want to place eight occupants. That is overcrowding. The municipality may issue fines for that. In fact, the body corporate may issue fines for that. But those fines would be issued against the owner and not against the tenants. So can the body corporate stop the owner initially from putting in eight people? The only way to physically stop them would be through a court order. If the body corporate knew that there were eight people, for example, eight people moving into any given flat, they could get an urgent application through the courts for a court order stopping those people from taking occupation. To physically stand at the door with sticks and beat them away? No. That's not allowed. You would need a court order. If that court order is not in place and the owner puts eight people in, those eight people will remain there until the owner takes them out. And the okay. owner is only going to take them out if he has a necessary mm. incentive from the body corporate being the fines that will be issued. Okay, so Sia says, what recourse is there? So basically the recourse when it comes to interviewing, you can say no. You can say no. And the one about the number of occupants, that is not so much the body corporates thing. It's more of a municipal. It's more of municipal law, yeah. Okay, so that's where that comes from. Right, and then Donald says, I heard that the Rental Housing Act has been or will be amended to require all lease agreements to be in writing and to include certain stipulated conditions. Now, this leads to three questions, he says. The first question is, what happens when a verbal lease agreement has existed for many years or even decades, or when an existing long-standing written lease agreement does not comply with some of the new requirements? Will the act be retroactive in that case? Second question is, could lessors and or lessees be forced to terminate existing verbal lease agreements or be forced to terminate existing written lease agreements? And the last question at the same time, will lessors be able to introduce their own new or excessively burdensome conditions into new leases that could contribute, oh no, that, sorry, that could constructively force out existing lessees? Okay, Donald, <clears throat> I'm going to answer this question in totality. Okay. I'm not going to break it up too much because the simple answer is the act, if and when it comes into effect, will not be retrospective. In other words, Anyone that's currently on a verbal lease may remain on a verbal lease. Anyone that's on a written lease that extends beyond the, the implementation date of the new act would remain on that verbal lease. The new 
stipulated conditions would only come into effect when those leases come to an end. Then you would have to sign a written lease. Now, the other thing we've got to keep in mind is that this is the Rental Housing Amendment Bill we are speaking about. Now, that the important word there is the bill. It's, it hasn't it's got not passed. an act. It mm. has not been passed. Many of these conditions as set out are going to be extremely difficult to enforce, especially the one concerning the written lease. As we know, across the country, we have thousands of, let's call them backyard dwellers. To have a written lease in place for each and every one of them, the odds of the landlords doing that are virtually zero. Then the question becomes, who's going to police this? That's always the problem. You know, yes, the bill does say that a fine may be levied against a landlord who does not give a written lease. Is it going to be leased? Is it going to be implemented? I seriously doubt this. I do not see that happening. In fact, I would be shocked if this bill became an act with that condition of a written lease still inside of it. But in any event, it isn't going to be retroactive. It's not going to be retroactive. In fact, I believe that the current act or the term concerning a written lease in the current act will remain in place. That being that the landlord must present the tenant with a written lease agreement if he's asked to do so. It won't be just a blanket. Every lease must mm. be in writing. Look, I'd be the first to say that would make my job a lot easier. <laughs> you know, if clients came to me and said, there's my lease, that's the clause that they've breached. Please do something about it. Walk in the park. When clients come and say, we've well, he's been living there for the past nine years. Things were okay. About six years ago, we had a problem. And now I've got to work through all of that. It becomes a bit harder for me. I would love every lease to be in writing. I don't think it's going to happen. But like I said, it won't be retroactive. So that's not something that you need to concern yourself about. And not yet anyway. Not yet. But then moving on to the, to the third point. At the same time, will lessors be able to introduce their own new or excessively burdensome conditions into new leases that could constructively force out existing lessees? Now, that cannot happen either because a written lease agreement, when it's put in place, it's got to be put in place keeping in mind the Rental Housing Act, whether it's the current one or the bill to become an act, which will have conditions inside them. Further needs to take into account the unfair practice regulations, which come out along with the Act, that says a landlord may do this, that, or the other. And it also needs to take into account the Consumer Protection Act. So for a landlord to put in a condition such as your lease, your rental for the month is 3,000 Rand, and after the first 12 months, your rental is now 8,000 Rand knowing the tenant can never afford that and you would have to leave, that's not allowed. The maximum increase is 10%. So for tenants to be concerned that suddenly lease agreements with all sorts of stringent conditions are going to come out, nothing they need to concern themselves about. The lease needs to be fair. Right. Okay. So we've got, we've, there's something else we're going to discuss, but we'll get that, to that in a minute. But this is from Jennifer. She says, Please advise what to do with a tenant that hasn't paid rent since the 1st of June this year and refuses to move out of my flat, which I've now sold as I got into arrears with the bank and the bank wants to auction the flat. The new owners want to move in and will cancel the agreement as from my side they say that I'm not holding up my end. 
of the agreement. Sorry, I've had an attorney send him an eviction letter, sent the sheriff of the court to issue the eviction. I'm in Cape Town and I have even gone to the rental tribunal, but they weren't able to help me as the flat is in Durban. I've gone to the police station for an eviction order, gone to court, gone to the Human Rights Commission, no joy. I've even had the locks changed and the locksmith gave keys to the security instead of the office and the security gave it to the tenant. Doesn't anyone use their common sense, she says. My tenant's contract has expired at the end of August this year and I've even gone as far as looking for a place for him on Gumtree and have supplied 10 places of accommodation for him and his family to move to. His excuse is that because he is Congolese, the people don't want to help him. Please help. So basically, the flat's there. She's had to sell the flat because the bank was about to auction it. So she then took the the step and went and sold it instead so she could pay the bank back. Um, she's sold the flat. Now the new owners want to move in, but she still can't get rid of the tenant. And she literally, I think, has been everywhere. I don't think there's anywhere she hasn't been. Jennifer, unfortunately, I hear this story every day. This oh is something that is happening across the country. And there is an answer it's a simple answer, but it's a time-consuming answer. But before I get into that, I just need to mention for all the listeners out there, the section here where Jennifer mentions... Changing the locks. She changed yes, the I locks. I read that and I thought, oh, no. Okay. That, Jennifer, consider yourself lucky that the locksmith gave the keys to the security and security gave that to your tenant. If that had not happened and your tenant was locked out, your tenant would then have been able to go to the police, to the rental tribunal, to court. Would he have gone to court? I, I don't know. He is a foreign national. They are often reluctant to approach the courts, but definitely to the tribunal and definitely to the police. Had he gone to the police? Now, you mentioned here that you found accommodation for him and his family. She's, now, she's actually supplied 10 places, she's, yeah. she's you know, but he doesn't want to go. Yeah, but I'm, I'm focusing on the fact that you mentioned family. Mm. Now, if he's got family, I'm, I'm guessing, I might be making an incorrect assumption, but I'll make the assumption that he has minor children. Having minor children, if you lock them out, you change the locks, you unlawfully evict them, you find yourself in contravention of the Child Care Act as well. Not only the Rental Housing Act, but the Child Care Act. And for that you can be arrested so basically what you're saying is you buy a flat don't rent it just move into it yourself and that's it um it's starting to exactly. make me very nervous here okay <laughs> right all right so so don't do that so let's just stick we do not do that we okay. do not ever lock anyone out we do not cut off the water we do not cut off the electricity we do it through the courts we do it through the tribunals uh moving on the fact that the rental tribunal cannot help you because you are in Durban? Cape Town, the flat is in Durban. That makes sense. The tribunals have geographical jurisdiction. There will be a tribunal in Durban that would be able to assist you with this. However, you would have to go there or you would have to appoint someone to approach them for you. Again, not a route that I would recommend simply because the tribunal does not have the power to grant an eviction order. If he owes you money, the tribunal can get you a judgment against him. Well, he hadn't paid rent since the 1st of June. Exactly. So he owes money. The tribunal can get you a judgment. The judgment can be used to execute against his movables, but it's not an eviction order. You might send the sheriff. The sheriff will remove his TV and his couch and his microwave and everything. And he decides, I'm going to buy a secondhand mattress and I'm going to sleep on this. He has not been evicted and you cannot evict him on that order. You would need to go through the court. 
and to go through the court the first step is you would send a letter of demand I see that you have an attorney on board who has sent an eviction letter I'm not sure what exactly is meant by an eviction letter I'm going to make the assumption it's a notice to vacate mm. but that it doesn't seem to make any difference but that's the basis for eviction over there provided that that notice to vacate has given the proper times or done in the correct way in other words a demand for money followed by a notice of cancellation due to the non-payment of the demand you may then approach the court by approaching the court any attorney will be able to drop that application for you they would set it down at court now the normal set down of an eviction application is one month simply because of the time limits involved in serving someone with a notice of eviction in other words their notice to come to court and the time that the case may then appear in court these are time limits that are mandated by legislation so we cannot just decide I'll serve him on Monday and I'll be in court on Wednesday you've got to give him at least 14 days notice added to the 14 days notice is the time the sheriff takes from getting the document to finding him and giving it to him in his hand because you've got to have personal service usually you find that there's a month delay between issuing your papers and appearing in court so once you appear in court the magistrate will then listen to argument depending on the court some courts will postpone for argument on a different date if the application is opposed but let's take it as being unopposed you your attorney would walk into court will inform the court of what the situation is the fact that he hasn't paid rental since June there's no defense to that if your attorney walks into court and says there's my application he hasn't paid I've cancelled he needs to leave the only way for him to argue that application or successfully argue the application is if he can come forward and say here are my receipts that I have paid if he can't do that the order is going to be granted I mean, she, she did the one right thing about looking for alternative accommodation for him and trying to get him to move but even that wasn't good enough that's simply mitigation right there's no mm. legal requirement on her to find alternative accommodation no, I'm saying she even tried that she's tried it so she's she I can't see her having done anything wrong other, other than, than locking keys. him up. But that, in, to, for, her, in her, for her lucky, for, in, lucky for her, out. it didn't work out <laughs> exactly. in her favor. Otherwise, she would have been in trouble. Yeah. Okay. So, he would not be able to argue against his application at court. The court would grant the order in your favor and most likely give him about another three to four weeks to vacate. Then he's out. So, depending on what the notice or the eviction letter said, you're looking at a period of about two months. And he will be out of your premises obviously that is a long time considering the flat has been sold and the new owners are now wanting to back out of the deal and the new owners want to back out now if the new owners or if the sale agreement states vacant occupation on transfer and you are unable to give them vacant occupation they may back out they may put you in breach of that agreement and walk away my suggestion would be launch your eviction application as soon as possible get an attorney on board launch your application go to your buyers and inform them I've launched the application they will be out in a period of about two months that should hopefully placate them placate them and then they would know that they are going to get the property they are obviously worried now that they take transfer and they stuck with tenants yeah. and they don't know what to do with hmm. they're paying a bond and they're not getting any rental so my only advice is launch and launch now 
Okay, well, we're taking a rather long time with all these emails. We've got one more left, and then we're going to go to the call. So we've, with this other thing, we'll get to that another time. But this, we need to just get through this from Tobiso. It says, my aunt, 17 years ago, bought two properties, two bits of land, from a seller who owned and sold land properties to people who wanted the land. Both the seller and my aunt signed the letter of purchase, including receipts as proof of payment. My aunt was given permission to use the land anytime she wished to. I don't understand that. My aunt passed away and couldn't use the land. Two years ago, the seller was insolvent and the SARS auctioned all the land available within the region of the seller's assets. The land was auctioned off to the local municipality. Now, we went to the municipality to claim the land back as we have proof that the land was bought and transferred to my aunt's name. The municipality has refused to grant the claim of land. In terms of law of property, can we take the municipality to court to grant the request to claim the land back since it's the new owner of the auctioned land? I don't understand the bit about the letter of purchase and my aunt was given permission to use the land anytime she wished to. Why, I, I don't understand that. I myself am a bit taken back by this entire statement. I feel that there is not enough information in yeah, here. I, I, I cannot actually put a, a proper answer out to to the client i would love that this client calls in or if contacts me later on simply because you say in here that you have proof that the property was okay. transferred into your aunt's yeah, name but then why would it be a part of the seller's estate exactly remember if the seller went insolvent that's fine then the seller's estate would be liquidated and but then the if it was transferred into the aunt's name it wouldn't have anything to exactly. do with it exactly the only way that i can see that happening is if the transfer went through within six months or you know with, within six months of the liquidation going through or of, of, of the, no, the aunt 17 years ago bought the, the property when you i see? when i when i was reading this i thought maybe the aunt was buying the land over a time and it wasn't going to be transferred into her name until she'd paid off the whole amount or something. Maybe. You know, maybe it was like, but, but she could use it in the meantime while she was paying it off. Almost like a lay-by mm, effect. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but like I said, we don't have the necessary information no. in here. Uh, I mean, to come back, if the property was sold within six months of the liquidation, the liquidators may be able to call the property back. It's what is called avoidable disposition. But as you correctly say, Karen, this says 17 years ago. And then two years ago, the seller was insolvent. And two so, years ago, the seller so was insolvent. So 15 years that the land was belonging to the aunt. Aunt passed away and couldn't use the land. Mm. So that, see, I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense yep. about not being able to use the land. If the land was bought, it was her land. She could do whatever she liked exactly. with it. Because remember, when it comes to sale of land, sale of land is or sale of immovable property is the only sale in South African law that must be in writing. And... Transfer only changes hand upon registration at the deeds office. So if transfer never happened, if registration at the deeds office never took place, then this land would still be considered part of the seller's estate, mm. which would be able to liquidate. If that was the situation, then the money paid for the land would have been a claim in favor of his aunt's estate against the liquidation. I'm going to make the assumption that the claim was not lodged. And they're just trying to get the land back from the municipality. Yeah. If, the, if it had never been registered and they never lodged a claim, unfortunately, there's not much that they can do because registration never went through. If registration had gone through and some error was made, 
in that the land was incorrectly taken as part of the estate and liquidated, then yes, they may approach the court for an order having the land, the land claim back. But again, I, I don't should, see it happening. They should have a deed of sale or something. They've, they've got to have trans not a deed or of transfer. sale. They've transfer. got to have actual transfer documents. A deed of sale simply says, they, yeah. I paid, transfer never went through, I now want my money back. Mm. Would they get their money back? I seriously doubt that because it seems as if the estate was liquidated. Okay, to be so, if you're listening, won't you give us a call because we're a little bit confused by this. So if you can, give us a shot. But in the meantime, we're now going to be taking some calls eventually. Um, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. 0892 10 2010. Lorato and Hazyview, good evening. Yeah, good, good evening. How are you? Hi, very well. Thanks. And you? I'm okay. Look, I want to ask some questions on behalf of my sister who's not in a position to ask. Okay. okay. I use some questions right right now. Yes, my, my sister was married to this guy who has since passed away. And the guy was initially married to the other woman with whom uh, he had one child who is who is heavy, who is also married and is having his own house. So my sister and the, the deceased uh, who passed away like three years ago are owning or used to own to stay in a, a, a municipal house which, according to my sister or my sister's belief, the house was belonging to, to them. But they, she realized after the passing away of the husband that she actually does not have a, what you call a, 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 a title deed from the municipality. Then she approached the municipality, but only to find that the house was is actually not registered in the husband's, husband's name. But my sister is also having... A, a little girl who's, do, who's doing first year at the university uh, with the deceased. So how how should she go about in such instance? Whose house was the name registered or, or in? I mean, did you ever know that, Lorato? She seemingly used to think that the house was registered in their in their name. The husband used to have a title deed, but only to find that when she approached the municipality, the, there is no title deed. There is something something like called a wind deed. Uh, some, some something of, of that nature. Wind deed, I don't know what, okay. what that is. Okay, if yes. I can stop it. Wind deed is sure. a, a program that is used to search for properties. It's simply a computer program that will, you can type in a property and you can do a search and that will then show you who the owner of the property is. Now, from the situation that, you, that you've laid out to us now, your sure. sister was married to, to this man. He passed away. He had a previous marriage. Yes. Uh, they were living in a municipal house. Yes. And your sister was under the impression that the house was his, that he was yes. a title deed in his favor. Absolutely. Yes. And then, of course, upon him then passing away, she would be able to inherit that house as well as any children. Uh, the, the daughter that you mentioned, is that his daughter? Or? Yes, it's the gentleman's daughter. Yes. Okay. And obviously the, the mother and the daughter would then inherit the house. But yes. If a windage shows that the house was not in his name, I then need to determine whose name was the house in. Was it in the name of his previous wife or was it in the name of the municipality still to be registered in his name? You see, that's the question we need to answer because if it was in the name of his previous wife, then we would then also need to look at the divorce order that was granted be between them. Because if the divorce order said that all immovable property is split between them 50-50, then he would be entitled to half of that house, and your sister would then get that 50%. That would obviously cause... Yes. 
if it was what is the scenario what is the hypothesis that the 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 house is still in the in the name of the municipality if it's still in the name of the municipality and yeah. then remember we always got to go back to the divorce order if the divorce order is silent on on the immovable property which says the immovable property remains in his estate then that house can still be transferred to your sister provided the conditions are met Remember, the municipalities would always put in conditions. You've got to live in the house for X amount of time. You've got yeah, to they, pay they, X they, amount or, you know, there are conditions to that. They don't just give the houses away. Right? So if yeah. your sister and her husband had met those conditions, in other words, he had been in occupation for the correct amount of time, he I had paid the necessary... The, 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 the conditions. Yeah. If they, look, if they met the conditions, then the house would be able to transfer to her. But we will first have to determine... Whose name is the house in? As I say, if it's in the house, it's in the name of the previous wife, then it's her house, and your sister has no claim to that. Yes. Is, is the basis of having a, a, a minor child with the deceased uh, holding uh, much power for her to to to, to get in the house? And uh, but Lerati, you said that the child was first year university. Yes, she was first year in the university. So she would That's be 19. 18 or 19. 18 or 19. She's oh, no longer 19. considered a minor. I reckon she's about 20 years. She's not she's considered not a, a minor. minor. Is she not considered a minor? No. no. Minor, you, you become a major at 18 years old. Oh, I see. So they cannot entitle her to, to like get in the house. No. no. If, if other conditions are met. No. As I say, the conditions themselves are the conditions. If they have been met and the house was in the name of the municipality to be transferred to him. Remember, it could have been a situation where he was simply letting the house from municipality and there never was to be a transfer to him. If that's a situation, then she cannot claim the house. Oh, I see. But so, you need your biggest the, thing... The first port of call will be going to the divorce papers and going through it and look at the... No, no the first port of call is finding out in whose name is the house now. Look, she is certain that the house is still belonging to the municipality. She certainly does. She know that's the question. We we don't uh, look in the studio. Yeah, I make many assumptions on what yeah, has yeah, been said, yeah. but we cannot yeah. act yes. on an assumption. Yes, we need certainty. Yes, so she needs to do a search on the house and find out exactly whose name that house is in. Okay, so from so there we can then look at the them. end of the program so that we we further pursue it with you. Yeah, um, I'll put you back to my producer now, Lerata, if you hold on, and he can give you Ishmael's office number. Oh, I, I see. By, by the way, let me ask this. Where is Ishmael based? In Cape Town. I'm in Cape Town. Ishmael is in Cape Town. Yes. But yeah. I'm staying in, 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 in Nailsprit, in Hazelville. Will, will Ishmael be able to, to assign some attorneys or to assist me even when he is... I don't see Town? a problem with that. I'm happy to oh. take the call. I'm happy to give you the advices and then pass you on to a colleague up there. Thank you very much. Okay. hold the line. Don't go away now. And you can ask my producer. He'll give you the office number. You're welcome. Good evening. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Right. If you have any questions, 0892-10-2010. 0892-10-2010. Ben in Yeovil. Good evening. Hello, Ben. Is Ben not there? We were having a problem with Ben's line. It was coming and going, and I think it's gone. We'll have to wait to see if Ben calls us back. While we're waiting to get Ben back, there was one more email that we didn't quite get to. It was actually relating to something we spoke about the last time you were here. Um, we were discussing the fact that when you buy a house, you could many years later be liable for the unpaid rates and taxes of the previous owner. 
And then there was a whole big debate about the fact that that wasn't the case and that you were only liable for your own rates and taxes from the date of transfer. And we had an email from Richard who said, please, could you discuss this judgment as it was confusing when you mentioned it last time? Okay, Richard, the thing about this judgment is this was a judgment passed by the Supreme Court of Appeal, which makes it a judgment that needs to be considered countrywide. You know, judgments that are passed by the Cape High Court will not necessarily hold precedential value in KwaZulu-Natal or in Gauteng or anywhere. But SEA is countrywide. Now, the case itself was the Swanee Metropolitan Municipality versus Thomas Mathabathe, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Now, this had to do with the implementation of Section 118 of the Municipal Systems Act. Now, in this case specifically, there was a property that was sold. When the property was sold, a rates clearance certificate was given. Now, that certificate goes back two years. Now, remember, the deeds office will never transfer property from seller to buyer unless there is a rates clearance certificate. However, as I said, that certificate only goes back two years to say that for the last 24 months, all rates have been paid up. If the deeds office has that, they will do the transfer. They don't look beyond those two years. In this particular case, it was 152,000 Rand outstanding outside of the two years. Naturally, the municipality then wanted to claim the money. In trying to claim the money, they then looked at who they could sue. Were they going to sue the previous owner? Were they going to sue the current owner? Were they going to sue future owners? And in this case, the court made the judge or passed the judgment that said there is a lien that the municipality holds over any immovable property for municipal services and fees outstanding. As municipal services never prescribed. I was about to say, it's one yeah, of the things that just never one, does. Never does. Pretty much every other judgment prescribes after three years. Municipal services never prescribe, which means they can come knocking at any time they want for any amount of money they want. And because this court said that the lien is against the property itself, that is interpreted to say that they may come after the new owner because he is now the owner of the house and the property or the lien goes against the house itself or against the, the immovable property itself. Now, this is something that they can look to do. However, although I haven't found any case law that says they cannot do this, I have found many opinions that say they will not do this, simply because they would not look to punish the new owner for debts outstanding of the old owner. They would go after the old owner. There's no reason that they shouldn't do what that. What if he's left the country or died? If he's left the country or died, then yes, they can go after the property itself. The other part of this judgment or of the opinions that have come out based on this judgment that concerns buyers is that all opinions say the municipality may attach and sell the property on auction. And naturally, this is a major fear for any buyer. So now, when we buy a house, should we not actually institute our own search and go back sort of 20 years to see if there's even five cents outstanding yes. somewhere. How yes. do we do that? Look, that we shouldn't rely on them saying, well, two years now, it's all fine. Here's your rates clearance. 
We should exactly. sort of say, well, what about the last 20 years before that? You can go back as far we as you want. We can do that. Okay. Yes. Remember, your, you can give it, your, your instruction to your conveyancer is, please do what's necessary to transfer this house into my name. So they will make sure that the transfer duty is going to be paid. They would make sure that your rates clearance is put into effect. They would, you know, look for your electrical compliance certificate, your beetle certificate, your plumbing certificate, and all of these things. If I were the buyer, I would ask my conveyancer, please check further. Go back further and see if there's anything outstanding on this. In principle, I wouldn't go back more than five years. Simply okay. because if it's going to come up, it's going to come up in five years. And being neurotic like me, I'd go back 10. But that's just me. Nothing stops <laughs> you from going back 10 years. But as I say, this is, at the time, at, at the moment now, it's still a very academic point. Not something that I'm personally too concerned about. As I say, you simply ask your conveyancer to do a bit of a search backwards. If there is some dispute as to whether or not it's going to happen, then you could ask the seller for security. You could say, I'll buy this, but I need to know that I'm covered in the event of something going wrong. I guess you can cover yourself. And you cover yourself there. You might even be able to enter into agreement where you hold back or your conveyancer holds back portion of the purchase price that if the municipality comes up with a further amount that's been disputed, you say, paid out of the seller's money. Oh, there you go. So there are ways of getting around it. Right, let's see if we've got Ben back on the line. Ben, good evening. Uh, good evening. Thanks for taking my call. Pleasure. How can we help you, Ben? Yes, I'd like to know, there is someone who bought the property, but it, it, it does not have, like, a clearance certificate. And now there, there are two parties. So this one without the clearance certificate has actually won at the tribunal. Now the, the party that lost would want to challenge it through the high court. So now my question is, the one that wants to challenge that, can they go via the tribunal or can they go straight to the high court to challenge that? Okay, Ben, I'm a bit confused as to what the scenario is that you're painting because you mentioned the tribunal. Which tribunal is this? Is this the rental housing tribunal? Yes, the housing tribunal, yes. But now you're mentioning <laughs> clearance certificates. That has to do with the sale of property. Yes. So the tribunal deals with rental matters, not sale matters. So I'm not sure what kind of order or judgment would have been passed here. No, no. You see, what happened is that the the tribunal, when when ruling over this case, they said we have seen the current certificate. We we have seen the title deed that it belongs to this party that has won the case. But now after. After the case was over, so we went and made a research. We found that that current certificate was false. It does not appear again. And now we'd like to challenge how come that, that, that person bought the house. Would this, would this be a rates clearance certificate? Is it what, it what clearance? Like, like I'm, a, I'm, a little bit and, I'm not sure what certificate you're exactly speaking about. About. Is it a rates clearance certificate, Ben? Because, okay, you're saying that there's two parties involved. Were the two parties trying to buy the land or were they trying to claim the land? No, it, it, it is a house. A house to be sold? Yes, the house has been, has been sold to, to someone. 
Okay, so there were two people but, trying but to no, buy the house. With the same people trying, with two people trying to buy the same house. No, the, the other one used to stay in the house, and the house belonged to his late wife. But the wife did not register it, you see, does not have the title deed. So whose name was the house in then? Oh, the, the, the house now is under the name of the owner. He claims to have bought it from a company, you see. Okay. This sounds very confusing. Then this is, I think it's too big for us yeah, to... Look, there, are, there are several tribunals that something like this can go before. There's the rental housing tribunal that wouldn't really have much to say on the on on a, on a, on a sale. There's the land claims tribunal, but that again is also, a la- it's also for a claim of land. That's uh-huh. not so much for a private sale of land. Then we've got the consumer tribunal, but that's only if the sale has been in an ordinary course of business. So I'm not sure which tribunal we, we, we're looking at here. Right? But what I can say is that different tribunals work in different ways. Some tribunals allow you to have an internal appeals process. Yes, but yeah. most of the tribunals don't allow that. The rental housing tribunal, for example, does not have an internal appeals process. You have to approach the high court for a review application. Okay. Right. So yes, yes, what yes. I would ask you to do is take my details. If you can email me a copy of the order yes. that was granted, I would then immediately be able to say which tribunal this falls under. And I can then give you the steps as to whether you can do an internal appeal or whether yeah. you would have to go to the court. Okay, thank you. Okay, Rob, Ben, I'm going to put you back to my producer, and just he's going to give you my email addresses, law, actually law at safm.co.za, and just send me the stuff to that. It'll be easier, and then I'll be able to forward it on to Ishmael, okay? Okay, thanks. All right, so just hold okay. the line no. and um, speak to my producer. He'll give you the law at safm just so you can write it down. Thanks, Ben. Right, we have got not much time. Robert in Limpopo, if you can be very brief, we can take your call. Yes, uh, uh, it's Robert. I'm very, very brief. I've okay. got only two questions. Okay, quick, quick, Robert. You've got five minutes. Business, business related. The first one is expectation. If you 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 in a business and you stay there for some really long time, and and you never had any problem with the landlord ever, at the end of the day, then you get uh, that uh, you know it can be renewed. You terminated your 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 rental lease. Okay. That is their expectation not being created after 10 or 10 years without even no explanation. All the time after three years, it was mm-hmm. renewed with no, any other discussion whatsoever. Okay. The... okay, the second question is this one. Okay. Yeah, seeing that you are in a business there, and it's a special business, of course, which you are, you are running there, and you've got clients which are using, only you can use that facility for, for that particular business. It's pay for example. You are a medical doctor, then you practice as a specialist to operate there, and there's no other medical, uh, I mean, a, a specialist hospital around there where you can do the procedure. And then automatically in the lease, there wasn't anything which say that if you leave, you cannot be allowed or the privilege to practice. And yet, when you leave, because you've been evicted now, that has been stopped. When you ask where is in the lease, they said no but inherently in there. But still, there are other guys who are almost the same like you. And they're the same qualification to the same thing. 
So it's like a restraint of trade. Yeah, we're in that case. Where do we stand? What do we do now? Okay, all right. Robert, we're running out of time, so let Ishmael tell you quickly. Okay, what we've got to look at here is that you are speaking about an expectation and you're speaking about a restraint of trade. But you are trying to apply these law principles between a landlord and a tenant. Now, the fact is, if you've been in a, pre- in a premises for an extended amount of time, let's say you've been there for 10 years, and you don't have a written lease agreement in place. Now, if it's a commercial enterprise, you can have a lease agreement for pretty much any amount of time, you know, provided the CPA doesn't apply, but we're not going to discuss that now. If you had a five-year lease and that was renewed for a further five years, or you've always been on a, on a verbal lease, then your landlord is fully entitled in law to give you notice to vacate. They have no obligation towards you. The fact that you've been there for 10 years doesn't mean you're allowed a further 10 years. You can be asked to leave because this is a private agreement between you and the owner, between the tenant and the landlord. It's not an employee-employer relationship where by the employer giving the employee you know, several contracts to work for six months, six months, six months, you know, seven or eight times that the employee then has an expectation of being employed for a further contract. This is strictly private law. There's no expectation that can be placed on the landlord and the landlord may give you notice. The second point you bring up is the specialized business. Now, again, it's coming back to this is a private enterprise. The landlord may cancel your lease agreement and he may place someone else in there right that person that he places in there can carry on any business that he wants if you had a written lease you could have a provision where he cannot put someone else in who does the same business as you in the same complex because that would create unnecessary competition but as it stands now the fact that you've been taken out and someone else has been taken in the landlord is fully within their right i'm unfortunate that's the the legal position Sorry about that. It wasn't good news, I'm afraid, Robert. Sorry. Thanks for getting through, though. Shame that wasn't good news at all. Well, (laughs) we've run out of time again. We always tend to do that. So sorry to Anthony in Bloemfontein and John in Durban. Uh, Next time we must try and get through the emails a little bit quicker. um, Please give my details to the the two listeners. Anthony and, and John, we will actually give you a call back now. My producer will give you a call and give you... Um, Ishmael's office number and or his email address or you can just drop me a mail but you can give you that information and he's quite happy to discuss your problem with you um, no problem as an apology because we took so <laughs> long chatting about everything else this evening we seem to do that there seem to be so many emails and we have to get through all of those so. I set my Tuesday mornings for further phone calls oh right <laughs> <laughs> well thank you it's very nice to have you just so accommodating thank you my listeners do appreciate that well my thanks once again this evening to Ishmael Mohammed, and he's an associate with Marlon Chevalier and Associates here in Cape Town and he's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program now there won't be another property program in December because because we're all going to be on leave, yeah. but there will be one at the end of January. So the next property program will be the last Monday in January. And Ishmael has agreed to join us for the rest of next yes, year again. Hopefully that time it feels like more than a week. Well, yes, thank you. <laughs> and thanks so much for this year. It's been wonderful having you. And I know the listeners have enjoyed it. So thank you very much indeed.
Thank you for having me. Have you, a good Karen. break of Thank the festive season. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And in the program next week, we'll be discussing labor law with Michael Bagram. That's The Law Report next Monday, the 1st of December. I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after 9 with Health Matters. So join me then. And just remember, there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like them, what any of those, leave a message on Facebook. But please include your email address or email me to law at SAFM. Stephen Kirk is up now with some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.